Welcome to this podcast of the Episcopal Church of the Good Shepherd in Venice, Florida. Today is the fourth Sunday of Lent, and you will hear Father Joe Hudson speak on Luke 15, to 3 and 11-32, to the story of the prodigal son. As you listen, see if you can answer some of these questions. The questions, 1. When and why do we say, that's not fair? Number 2. When and why does Jesus talk about lost things and lost people? 3. How can the story of the prodigal son be told in modern times? And 4. Is there a prodigal son or a jealous sibling in your life? Or are you a forgiving parent? Gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ according to St. Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. All the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them this parable. There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country, who sent him to the fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. The father said to his slaves, quickly bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, and get the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. 
Now his elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. The Gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Happy are they whose transgressions are forgiven and whose sin is put away. Amen. Humanity often follows in the way of retributive justice. You establish a set of rules, and if you break those rules, you will suffer the consequences. However, if you choose to follow those rules, things will go well for you. This is often how society and religion tends to function. However, God often acts differently. God isn't fair. Thank God. (laughs) How many times have you heard your kids say, that's not fair? Maybe you heard those words just after they got home from school and you told them they had to do their chores before going out and playing. Well, let's all confess, not only have you heard these words from your children, but there may have been times, even in your adult life, when you either said or thought the very same thing. That's not fair. You see, life is full of hard realities that are often don't work the way we think that things should. Life is not fair. Our existence on this planet is full of sometimes cruel and many times unfair, biased, and inequitable realities. Sometimes one individual may weasel out of a jail sentence because he was able to hire the best team of lawyers, while another individual went to jail because he could not afford a good lawyer and instead had to settle for an overworked public defendant, defender. It's not fair. We cry not fair when, despite the presence of the Fair Housing Act, race discrimination in housing continues at times to be a problem. Life is not fair. We may think it when someone we dislike is blessed beyond what we believe they deserve. But you notice on the flip side of the coin, do we think it's unfair when we find ourselves being blessed beyond what we deserve? Usually not. Fairness. If I work hard, then I should get a fair return for my labor. If I love God, obey the commandments, are kind to others, God will be pleased with me, 
and will be fair and usher me into his kingdom. Fairness. Sometimes it's kind of a tricky thing. You see, what I may think of as fair, you may view as unfair. The story of the prodigal son speaks to us about the seemingly unfairness of life when people who break the rules don't get what we think that they should deserve. You see, God has established a higher law than that of retributive justice. It is the law of God's abundant, extravagant, compassionate love for you and me and all of creation. Luke chapter 15 is a story about things that are lost. Jesus speaks about a lost sheep, a lost coin, and in today's story, a lost son. The chapter tells us how God views things and people that go astray and are lost, and how we, as human beings, often view sinful lost people, how we view ourselves in our lostness, and how we view others. Today's portion of Luke 15 sets the stage. We see there Jesus looking out at a typical crowd. Well, at least typical for those who tended to congregate around Jesus. There were the wealthy and the poor, the socialites and the outcasts, the religiously clean and the unclean, the Jews and the Gentiles. There were some present who gazed across the crowd and saw those lost kinds of people over there. There were some standing nearby who looked within themselves and saw nothing good, nothing deserving of God's love or of Jesus' compassion. They did not measure up, and they knew it. They saw themselves as unworthy. As Jesus spoke, he painted a picture in the people's minds. There was something in this story that hit at the heart of every one of those present that day. Jesus told the story of a wealthy man and his two sons who worked for him. One day the younger son went up to his father and said this, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. <laughs> the crowd that day must have been shocked into silence at Jesus' words. They couldn't believe what they were hearing a vile, disrespectful son with overwhelming hubris, demanding what he thought was rightfully his, and get this, demanding it while his father was still very much alive and kicking, unheard of. Now, please allow me to retell this story from a 21st century American perspective. There was a very wealthy CEO of a Fortune 500 company who had two sons, Roger, the firstborn, and William, the younger. Their father had sent both boys to the best Ivy League schools where they graduated and returned to work as VPs in dad's business. The business prospered and time went on. Dad's hair was now beginning to gray at the temples. 
William the Younger was getting bored with the routines of life, flying here and there for meetings, eating at the same upscale restaurants, sitting down for dinner with his parents and brother, enduring yet another round of the same old family stories. He was feeling stifled and smothered. He was about to gag on it all. Finally, in exasperation, he had it out with his dad. Dad, I've had enough of this monotony. I want to see more of the world. This business is cramping my style. I know in your will I am guaranteed half of your wealth when I die. But to be honest, I can't wait. I want it now. I want to be free to live life to the fullest. Well, to everyone's shock, instead of cutting off this spoiled, ungrateful young man and writing him out of the will, the father instead, with a broken heart, handed over half his wealth that very instant. And once that was done, William disappeared from his father's life. Well, William was finally free. The world was now his oyster. Nightclubs, dancing, drugs, exotic women, sailing, diving, mountain climbing, Florence, St. Petersburg, Cape Town, Jaipur, Kyoto, Morocco. The world was now his. That is, until one night years later when he went to check in to a five-star hotel in Copenhagen. He swiped his credit card, and you guessed it, was shocked to hear the words, insufficient funds. Well, this was not good. He quickly took out the other card and swiped it, and again heard the words, insufficient funds. Now, before I continue with William's story, let me return to the father and his oldest son, Roger, back on the other side of the Atlantic in America. The family business continued to be very profitable. Father and son worked many long, hard hours and days. They lived a good life. But at the end of every long day, Roger would find his father alone in the den, feverishly at work on the computer. But this had nothing to do with their business. This was the activity of a broken-hearted man desperately searching for his lost son, for the boy who had wounded him so deeply. You see, night after night, he would search the, inner, the Internet for some hint of his boy, he tried in vain to contact William through email and instant messenger. Facebook turned up nothing. His son had apparently blocked him. Father was sinking into a deep depression. Let me now return to William in Copenhagen. Without financial resources, he was now getting desperate. Forget about the need for glamorous parties and women and drugs. Now his only concern was for survival. Where would he live? How would he eat? He reached out quickly to his so-called friends, those he had bankrolled and who had benefited from his great wealth. None of them cared about William now that he was broke. He sold some of his suits and his shoes on eBay. He pawned his Rolex. As he searched for work, 
No corporation wanted to risk hiring him with his reputation. He finally settled for a very low-paying job at a local business, but with the high cost of living in Denmark, he could barely scrape by. He began to look within himself, and what he saw, he did not like. He deeply regretted the arrogant, spoiled, ungrateful man that he had become. One day, a wild, desperate thought occurred to William. It was crazy, ridiculous, extremely humiliating and embarrassing, but it just might be his last-ditch hope. Maybe he could I am his father. He knew how furious Dad must be with him, but he had to risk it. In deep humility, William reached out across the miles to his father and asked if he might be able to come back and possibly get a job as a low-level manager in the company. He asked only for the barest of salaries to live on. It was 6 a.m. when William tapped send on his instant message to his father. To his shock, 15 minutes later, at 1 a.m. New York time, his father responded. Dad was sending money for one night stay in a nice hotel and first-class airfare the next day nonstop to New York. William was overjoyed, but extremely nervous. He barely slept that night. The next day's flight across the Atlantic was smooth, but William was in turmoil. His mind raced from one thought to another, replaying his life, all his shameful deeds and words towards his family, and especially towards his father. How could he ever repair the damage he had caused? If he hadn't been in the middle of the Atlantic at 32,000 feet, he would have chickened out and turned around. Well, when the jet finally touched down at JFK, William's gut was churning. He was sweating and his heart racing. He was bracing himself for his dad's stern look and the fierce tongue lashing he was about to receive. As he traversed the concourse, William's feet felt like lead, each step forward requiring great effort. As he passed security, every muscle in his body was tense and his head pounded painfully. Suddenly, he sensed quick movement just ahead and to his left. Before he spotted his father, his dad had spotted him. To William's shock, dad, this respectable Fortune 500 corporate executive was in a dead run towards his son. And instead of his face being red with rage, his face was filled with tears, arms outstretched. He was beaming with a smile forming from ear to ear. His face glowed with intense joy. No fury or disappointment or embarrassment could be seen, only joy. William was stunned. His arms were at his side as his father kissed him and embraced him fiercely, his dad soaking his collar with his tears. As William was held there in that unconditional loving embrace, he noticed his mother and brother approaching. The look William expected to see on his father's face was there for all to see on the face of his brother Roger, who looked coiled, ready to attack. 
Dad finally released his grip on his youngest son and put his long arms around his entire family. Everyone was laughing and filled with deep gratitude. Everyone, that is, except Roger, who stood there scowling and stiff as a board. Dad handed over a beautiful gift to his youngest son and spoke of the magnificent, extravagant reception party that was now planned for William. Roger just stood there, frozen, his scowl now turning to rage as his face became beet red. Roger was furious at the injustice. How could father receive his sinful son so warmly? How could he throw him an extravagant welcome home party? It wasn't fair. It wasn't right. Roger's soul hardened just a little bit more that day. Well, here ends the story. As Jesus told it that day is a story about you and me. Where are we in this cast of characters? Do you see yourself at times in Roger, the eldest son, Roger, who was furious over the unfairness of the situation, how his recalcitrant wicked brother who deserved punishment and to be ostracized from the family was instead warmly embraced and welcomed back in by the father, even being restored to his former position in the corporate business. It wasn't right. Do you ever hear that subtle, or sometimes maybe not so subtle, judgmental, critical, rigid voice of the Roger inside of you. How about William? Is there a William inside you, a part of you who can have a tendency to stray, who has been known to wander from the Father's love? But there is probably another William inside you as well, a William who sometimes believes that you deserve punishment rather than love, who believes you are unworthy of God's love. How about the father in this story who is a portrayal, obviously, of God? Is there some of this father in you, a part of you who is gracious, forgiving, compassionate, and open to reach out to others in unconditional love, a part of you who, even when sometimes deeply wounded, still reaches out, to give a blessing rather than a curse. God does not give us what we deserve. God is not fair. And thank God for that. The questions, one, when and why do we say, that's not fair? Number two, when and why does Jesus talk about lost things and lost people? Three, how can the story of the prodigal son be told in modern times?
and 4. Is there a prodigal son or a jealous sibling in your life? Or are you a forgiving parent? Mm-hmm.